Hey, you're listening to Talking About the Passion. I'm Thomas Irwin. This is a podcast where I interview different independent musicians and showcase their music. As for myself, I'm a singer-songwriter and producer who goes by Niagara Moon. You can look up more about my own music at niagaramoonmusic.com. For episode 23, we have Jason Bourgeois. Jason is a singer-songwriter who is not based in Seattle. He actually lives where I grew up, in old western Massachusetts. He writes songs that are very reminiscent of 60s and 70s pop, both in his solo work and with another band he currently plays in called Beach Honey. I got to visit him over at his place in Northampton while I was on vacation over there, and we had a chance to catch up. I got to pet his cats. I'd first met Jason when he and his friend Dave Newland made the music video for my song Eating Peaches last summer. He's a very gifted filmmaker. He does both music videos and short films. He's actually got a new short film coming out later this year called Father Willie. But as far as his music goes, we're going to now listen to the latest single from Jason Bourgeois, released as part of the March, April, and May compilation from February Records. This song is called Falling Like Dominoes. Let's go steady. 
Yeah. You're, you're not a very loud guy. No, I mean, not, not in this kind of a setting. <laughs> when are you loud? When am I loud? I don't know. I think if I'm, you know, out and about, I'm probably a lot louder. So where is there to go out and about around here in Northampton? Well, there's, there's several um, speakeasies. <laughs> there's some, uh, some clubs, some... What am I saying? These, I'm just saying when I go to my friend's house, <laughs> sitting around a table. A lot of house parties. Yeah. Yeah, so you grew up here, right? In the valley? I didn't grow up in the valley. I grew up. No. I, I'm from. I'm from Connecticut. Um, so valley light. Valley light. It looks very similar. Maybe not the same kind of culture. I think when a lot of people think of Connecticut, they think of um, people that sound like uh, the guy in Gilligan's Martha? Island. Like, yeah. Like, uh, was it Thurston Howell the third? Or I never saw uh, that show. So Connecticut. Where in Connecticut? The town that I'm from is called Moodis. I don't know if you'd call it like a village of a town called East Haddam, which I'm sure me making that clarification does nothing for anyone's um, <laughs> geography. I never heard of this. Yeah, so it's just a small woodsy area. My, my surroundings are, are similar up, up here. Okay, so kind of rural Connecticut. And then when did you make the, the move to Pioneer Valley? I moved up here, I think around 2003. I was in, I was in a band at the time called Bourgeois Heroes, and we were based in New Haven. And um, the other member of the band, Elise, spent some time up here. She had family that lived here for a while. And so we started to just kind of hang out up here, and we started coming up here to play, and um, ended up liking it, and then stayed for a bit. So that was like high school you came up here for the first time? Um, No, I was older than that. Um, I guess people are now doing math. (laughs) <laughs> no, but I was, I was not, I was out of high school um, <clears throat> at that time and moved here as a, you know, adult, but it was only here for about a year. Then I moved to Texas and then... Like Austin? Austin, yep. Didn't, didn't perform at all there, which was very strange. We were both there, but we never played a show in, in Texas. It just That's wasn't... kind of destination for that yeah, missed just, opportunity. It, it just wasn't what was, our lives were like then, so... I was still, you know, wanting to play, and I was coming up with some songs and things, but just weren't really, we weren't trying to book anything. And then I moved back, and then I started kind of doing things around here again. Wow, so you, uh, you've been here the longest? Yeah, because I was, I was only away um, down south for probably a year and a half. So I, so I basically have lived here 2003 with a little break, then back. And how do you find doing music around here? It's fine. Um, yeah, I, I, there's a lot of people that I, I love to go see around here. There's, there's a little bit less to do if you're a band around here. Things are, are closing. It's pretty quiet. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think um, at one point people were really gung-ho to make this a, a scene, you know, um, and, and it, might, it might have been at one time, and bef- probably before my time. There yeah, were like, I guess it got called the best small arts town in America. Really? Back in the '90s or something, okay. Northampton got voted that. See, I missed all that. Yeah, but I think we all did. Yeah, but you know, there was a period period where I was here where it felt like it was kind of happening, but it, you know, in a a small way, which is fine though. It's all you really need is just a supportive group, and and um, and maybe it maybe that still exists, but I you know, am at home watching um, 
Gilligan's Island, you know? Well, I'm not watching that, but maybe Columbo or something. But now I think, you know, there's more of a house show scene here, which is pretty vibrant, and that's great. I just don't know where the houses are. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to yeah, get you my gotta, invite. Yeah, you got to be in the know for that stuff. Yeah, They don't yeah. tend to put their events on Facebook as often. Yeah, and I'm, you know, no I'm, not, flyers. I'm not really on Facebook either, so even if it was, I wouldn't know. Huh. Yeah, that makes it hard to keep up with the, the young kids. Yeah, like people people have to like write me a hand write me a letter and, and send it here for me to find out about anything. So you're saying places around here were closing? That's been a thing recently? Shut, yeah. Venues I mean, shutting down. Right. There was a place that I probably did most of my live stuff in the in at least my hometown. This this place which had many names, but most recently it was called um the One Bar, but it was called the Elevens. Oh, yeah, that place. Well, the first time I played there, it was called Harry's. Oh, yeah, that's before my time. Yeah. You know, it's now a um, place that sells expired um, trail mix for discount oh. prices. And it's it's strange. It rhymes know? with Meals on Wheels? Yes, it does. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, I, you know, I'm not bad-mouthing that place. I'm, I mean, yeah. I'm sure it's wonderful, but, you know, it's a bit of a bummer that... Because you know, there, there are other places to play in this area, but it's, those places are a little bit bigger. I'm, I'm, you know, small potatoes and, you know, small potatoes do need a a place to, to grow, to grow. Yeah. (laughs) Where we are, is not too big a town. I mean, 30,000 max. Right. And that's, that's with, um, with with students students. when the the students are here now. So it's what, 22,000 maybe right now. (laughs) I'm feeling like it's about, there's about 22,000 people around us at the moment. Yeah. It feels like it. Yeah. <laughs> They're all in their houses, though. But, you know, you don't... You, you like it quiet, though. You like somewhere kind of out in the country, but still it's got some, some cultural stuff going on. Well, there's that, you know, there's this wonderful Jonathan Richmond song called City Versus the Country. And I just want everyone to pause the podcast and just listen to that song and then come back. And I think that song... If, okay, you're back now? Yeah. <laughs> I think that song sums it up. I like, I like, I like both. I do like living places where there's trees everywhere, but I also really like to have something have to do at night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I'm happy to call this my home, but I don't necessarily think I'm, I'll always be here. But if I am, I won't be upset about that. It still has a, a well-deserved reputation for being artsy. And uh, sure, you definitely feel that in the community. I mean, right. in addition to music, you are a videographer. Mm-hmm. Oh, whatever the term is, <laughs> director. Yeah. So, I mean, you seem like you're pretty busy making music videos for people around here a lot yeah. of the time. When I went to school, that was what I was... I, I, wasn't, I wasn't planning on being a director, but I, I went to school because I wanted to be a, a film editor. And then um, that seemed like a real pain in the ass. So I just said, well, maybe that's not what I want to do for a living. And I w- w- went away from it for a while. And then years later, I wanted to just cut something for someone and um, just got into it. And, I, and then I don't think my objective was to make tons of music videos, but it seems like that's what I'm doing. I mean, there's a high demand for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I I think I'd rather be just making like short films, but um, music videos are fun too. You know, I did one for you, my, you with did. my friend Dave. Turned yeah, out spectacular. Thank you. I love I love that song. I was it was an honor to uh, come up with put, some weird put ideas image to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And those ideas were all you. The whole script. Yeah, well, and 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 uh, Dave Newland. Too, oh yeah, yeah. Can't there's there's can't a him. there's an amazing sequence in it that he came up with. I think you know, kind of after we had shot a lot of it. And he said, hey, what if Thomas gets picked up in the air uh, by a child and he's put in a, you know, a room full of toys? I said, do it. looks like something out of Monty Python. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
Yeah, yeah, I like that part a lot. Yeah. But I mean, at this point, how many music videos would you say you've made? I don't know. I mean, if, I, I probably, if I thought about it, but we don't want to spend all this time counting, but the number would be small. It'd be, it wouldn't be more than... Okay, so you're, more, you're still working be. on your videography. Is that the video version of discography? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Filmography. Filmography, what am I yeah. yeah. I mean, what I've been doing for the last year, I'm, I've been working on a short film, and um, I mean, not shooting it this whole time. It's not going to be, I mean, that wouldn't probably wouldn't be a short film if I've been shooting it for a year, but planning it, I mean, at this point, I'm editing it. But so I, the music video output slowed down since that, that project went underway. But uh, it's something you do anytime you're, uh, you're asked if you're interested in the project? Yeah. You got one coming up with... Uh... Mark Mulcahy. Um, yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, actually, this evening that we're recording this, I'm going to shoot it. So if it, if, if it comes out like trash, maybe I don't have a video coming out, but we'll see. We're kind of... We're playing with the elements. Yeah. We're, we're trying to... We're leaning into the elements, and hopefully they don't make this something that just looks like a bunch of fuzz on, on the screen. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's video, but um, when did you get interested in music? I wasn't, I wasn't someone who grew up as a child listening to music. I mean, I listened to stuff, but I wasn't like, you know, I grew up in the 80s, and well, I look back at the 80s now, and there's just tons of great music, but for whatever reason, what I was hearing as a kid, I just didn't really like it that much. Um, I mean, people remember the great stuff, but the stuff that gets pushed at the time is all the like forgettable kind yeah. of pop garbage. So. I mean, when I look back at now, there's, there's a lot of stuff that I really like, but if when the, um, the history books are written and what, what's going to survive amongst you know, the masses will just be like the, some of the worst recordings you've ever heard in your life. So, but I think the 80s had better popular music too, but for whatever reason, I, I, just, I just didn't... I would see like, <clears throat> like hair metal bands on TV and I'd go, man, rock is stupid. Like, I, don't, <laughs> I don't like it. So, it's a clown show. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, I remember seeing like, Twisted Sister or something, and just being like, man, who likes that, you know? I was a snob as a kid, is what I'm trying to say. No, but I liked, like, the first album I ever bought was, uh, and maybe not with my own money, but I went up to the register. It was at Caldor, and I bought the uh, Ghostbusters soundtrack on cassette. There's more than one song? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, um, I mean, I, I know all those songs <laughs> still. I mean, that one song is, like, the only hit, I guess. So I, I I was like I was like a comedy kid. I tend I would like music that was associated with a comedy that I saw. Mm. So so that was sort of my int- intro. But I guess when I got a little older, um, you know, teenager, a friend of mine was a really you know and still is a really good singer, a good, good guitar player, and I went on a trip with his family to Block Island, and um, there's not really much to do on Block Island, especially if you you're a kid and you don't you're not like at a bar. So we were, yeah. <laughs> we would just kind of wander around and we ended up going to this restaurant and there's this dude, and he probably was terrible, but he was just sitting on the, the porch of this place we we're playing and he was playing, I am the walrus, the, the Beatles song. And I was like, what is that? You know, my friend's like, I don't know. Like, did he write that? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so we went, we went to um, his mom and she's like, we heard this song, I am the walrus. Like, what does that even mean? She's like, Oh, it's a Beatles song. Come on. You guys are idiots. So, <clears throat> um, so you hadn't really been aware of the Beatles before then. I mean, I, I their music at yeah, least. Yeah, and maybe, and maybe I'm saying I'm, I was older than this, but I feel like I was like 12, 13. I knew, I knew what the Beatles were. I like knew those songs, but I didn't really like go into it. Dig in, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and like I, I always assumed that um, Ringo was like the main Beatle, like cause his <laughs> name was Ringo Starr, 
the and star like, of the show. Yeah, and, and he was, like, more present in my life then. Like, he was, yeah, he was, like, on TV and movies and stuff. But, um, yeah, so then uh, a friend and I were like, all right, the Beatles. And at the same time, my aunt just happened to loan me all our Beatles records. And I, you know, I remember just sitting up in my room, like, in the dark, just, like, putting, putting on, you know, Rubber Soul. And I think that's when it hit me. I'm like, oh. I want to be in a band. I want to like wow. <laughs> those thoughts all flooded at once, huh? Yeah, totally, totally. And and so my friend who already was good, he's like, okay, let's start a band. You know, I, I'm I know how to do it. I can show you. Um, and I was I, I really liked um, Elton John was someone I mm. had already liked at the time. Like um, so, I wanted to be, be a piano player. So I started. To, I got like a little like Casio and tried ah. to tried to learn that. We had a band. My friend and I had a band for like two days, and the singer got mad and. It just exploded, you know. Mm, classic rock and roll drama. Yeah, but then um, this friend I talked about, the Block Island guy, my friend Keith. We uh, started a band after that, and we played for a while. You know, we were like we were little kids, and we would play at bars. We somehow we we we'd play um, every other Saturday at this Hick Bar in our town we lived in in Connecticut, and we just learned like every easy cover song you could play, and we started writing too, and we'd mix those in, and we really just dove in. And I didn't know how to play. <clears throat> I ended up playing bass because nobody else wanted to. That's how a lot of people <laughs> get into that. And I was, I was really bamboozled because I was like, well, look, I'll play bass, but I'm a keyboard player. So whenever, we can, whenever I can play keyboards, I will. But it was like, well, if I play keyboards, someone would have to play bass. And so it didn't happen that much. But I'm glad because now I love playing bass. It's like, you know, one of my favorite things to do. But yeah, did that for a while. We would play from... I can't imagine this now, but we'd play from nine till one, one thirty. Wow! And uh, stamina. Yeah, yeah, and, and like a lot of the nights we would um, lay down after we play for a while, like just on the little stage. We'd just like lay there before we'd pack up all of our stuff. And it was one of those places that didn't have speakers and PA, so we'd have to like carry all that in yeah. and carry it all out at the end of the night. Yeah, but that band, I mean, the other three guys were really good musicians. I couldn't play or sing, but it was so much fun, and we were horrible. <laughs> but it was just like a great time, and got to start somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. So you didn't really become a Beatles head until what, like middle school? Yeah. And then that's when you started to really come to know and appreciate all the music that you're a fan of today. Yeah, I mean, I'm still a Beatles head. Um, I don't. I really don't think anything is better in fact when I when that time I'm talking about when my aunt gave me all those records I just got like I was like well what's better than this why would I listen to anything else and I just <laughs> I just would like play I think a those. lot of people have been there yeah yeah I just play that stuff to death and I still in like right before you got here actually you know Sergeant Pepper just got reissued 50, and I, 50 year anniversary yeah and I just got that box set and before you got here I was listening to all these outtakes and stuff and yeah like, and like early versions of songs yeah yep it's fascinating to hear one of those iconic songs before they really got all the pieces together, and you're like, "Oh no, that's not the way to sing that note." Come on, <laughs> what are John. you doing? <laughs> that's a weird rhythm. Yeah, I mean, the Beatles don't really need any PR from anyone, but you know, here, and I don't really care about outtakes or bonus tracks from yeah. nearly anything, but but those guys, I love hearing it, and I love, I even like, you know, like there's just studio chatter. Like I just, oh, yeah. Like, what are they talking about? <laughs> I like Beach Boy stuff like that too, um, because when it, he's given instructions to all the musicians oh God. and stuff, yeah. yeah. Or like when his dad crashes. Well, that I, that <laughs> I don't enjoy. 
So I mean, enjoy <laughs> is the wrong word, but it's, yeah. it's fascinating. Well, the you know the pet sounds one is like I mean no one's no one's at that level but him, but it's kind of like a how to, and you you even had to had to um, work with musicians and how to explain things without just sitting there and go, this is how it goes, and you sit down right. and you play it for them. you got to stay in the control room. Stay in the control room, but also explain what you want, but in a way that's clear, but without being, like, totally just a dominant, yeah. you know. and it's he, a real balance. Yeah, and he really knew how to do that. It was, it's, and to think that um, he was doing that at 23. or it, <sighs> It's intimidating, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and guess pretty much all your favorite music is from that era, though, like the 60s, early 70s. You seem <laughs> to be heavily entrenched in, in that retro sound. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I definitely, um, I think I've, I've noticed this about myself in uh, recent years. I'm, I'm becoming less adventurous. You know, I've worked at record stores and I love getting new albums and things, but, and I still listen to new music, but I find that the majority of what I'm listening to is stuff that I liked when I was 14. Mm. I think that happens to a lot of people. It's yeah. Like, it's like all winter I was just listening to the Rolling Stones, like day and night. That's all I wanted to hear. And I just know those records, most of them, you know, kind of inside and out, but I, I still am getting a lot from them. Yeah, I don't want, I don't want to come across that I don't care about new, new, stuff. new stuff. But, yeah, I just I, I spend most of my time... Listening to like you said, sixties and seventies. Yeah, I rock, mean, it rock and soul like kind of informs your own sound. Yeah, as a songwriter and musician. Yeah, and you know, any little bit of writing anyone's ever done about bands I've been in or like any solo stuff I've done, it's always been like retro man. But I, I don't really see it that way. I know I love that kind of music, but I always feel like I'm making like now music. Yeah, but I mean, there is a lot of now music that is that retro style yeah. and then they're trying to explore sure. explore that sound and do something new with it. I think people are doing it really well now actually. Yeah. There's some things that are just kind of like we're going to make a record that just sounds just like these three bands and we're yeah. going to hit them all. And I don't really like that, but there's other bands that are really they're taking like that kind of older sound and doing taking it to new places. But yeah, I, I've never really set out to go, okay, well, this is going to be like a second side of um, Abbey Road. Right. You know, but you don't want to just make an inferior version of something that already exists. Sure. My old band, um, Bourgeois Heroes, we made this 7-inch. Uh, um, I don't know when it was at this point. Maybe, I'm not really good with remembering dates, but at least five, six years ago. I'm, mm -hmm. Maybe longer, I don't know. <clears throat> In both songs, I remember when I was working on them, I was like, Wow, like I'm making some kind of futuristic music. I really, mm -hmm. I really thought, you know, I was like, we, you know, this is great. And I'm not, I'm never really in love with what I'm doing. I'm very harsh. Yeah. But musically, I, I was like, this is really cool. Like, I'm really digging this. And then um, we sent it out and got some reviews. And like, they're all, well, there's one really terrible one, but most of them were, <laughs> were nice. But all of them were kind of like really like name dropping 60s. That's bands. all they know how to do. I mean, and I was thinking like, Gee whiz! Like, I thought I was like a spaceman when I was making this, <laughs> and then and this is they're just saying like, well, this sounds like um, Wings in 1974, and this sounds like just, this that's old how they band. provide reference points to people. Yeah, but maybe they're right. But in my mind, You're I really doing something totally new. You're yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm like dead wrong, but uh, <laughs> I and I'm not I'm not upset that I get the retro label because there's there's worse 
there's worse things to be called than yeah. than retro. And it's not a bad word in my book. I've used it to things yeah. I love. I've kind of ended up embracing it to some extent. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of Spaceman, uh, mm-hmm. obviously one of your <laughs> biggest musical influences, oh, Mr. Harry Nielsen, yeah, he, is also one of mine. Yeah, I, yeah, and I, I mean, I think maybe that's why, um, you know, our friend Grant, who you, you've recorded with and I've recorded with, he actually one day just said, "Hey, you're gonna really love this guy. I think he he likes Nielsen," and and he sent me some tracks, and I was totally like, "I gotta meet this guy," you know. <laughs> you know? <clears throat> um, but uh, yeah, he's he's he is my favorite singer, my favorite songwriter. Nobody holds a candle in my book. You know, it's just. I could listen to his voice all day, and sometimes I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he certainly has a lot of stuff. I mean, for the 10, 15 years that he was really active, he was, he was busy. Do you have, like, a favorite album out of that, a favorite period? Oh, boy. Of his? He, the one I listen to all the time is uh, Son of Schmilson. Because okay, yeah, the one with Spaceman on with it. With Spaceman on it, yeah. Well, that, that record, it gets you th- through a lot of his eras because it's in the middle. It's a crossroads, yeah. Because his big album, the really big one, the smash album for him yeah. was Nelson Schmilson. So he did that beautiful album. And then, you know, his albums, um, all of them really, but especially when he was a little older, like he really embraced his sense booze. of humor. And, well, yeah, he embraced <laughs> booze, but he embraced his sense of humor. So he, you know, he was really focused on... Son of Schmielsen still. Like there are there are yeah. songs in there that sound like they're hit records. Right. But he was also really goofing around a lot. I don't know if I'd say it's my absolute favorite, but that's the one I, I turn to the most. Like I always have that album. I, I don't know if it's ever not been on like when they first started making iPods. <laughs> like <laughs> it's, it's like been a mainstay. Oh, yeah, I don't know if I've ever taken that off. You know, it's just I I always want it. I always want it. It's like it's like um in case of emergency, like I have it, behind, <laughs> it's like behind a glass, and I, I hit it with a hammer, and I put it on. Yeah, and actually, um, I mean, Nilsson's the reason why probably my my favorite drink is the uh, Brandy Alexander. It was that was he and John Lennon's, um, you know, their poison when they were hanging out in L.A. They must have drank so much. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's it's heartbreaking. I mean, I love that Pussycats album, but it's yeah. it's heartbreaking it's to hear his voice. At the same time. Yeah, but his voice came back in a big way. Oh yeah, I think the the one where he's got four eyes, the Knilson or how yeah. do you say that? That's very underrated. His, yeah, his and, voice came back in a big way for that one. Yeah, and and, and you know that should have been a really big album, but it, it, Elvis it, died. Elvis died exactly, and so he made one one more album after that, but it was you know not released in America, so. But I think he he did what he needed to do. He had a good run. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So when did you start songwriting? I know you were playing with this group, reluctantly playing bass in well, Connecticut. When when did you start really kinda So Drop the Needle on the Beatles was like, I'm gonna write some songs. So that's when it started. Before I could even really play, I I because and I also real like I realized pretty early on, like, you know, I didn't grow up taking piano lessons. Music was just it was there, but not. I wasn't. I never was interested in learning an instrument before then. Mm-hmm. So I don't. I don't have like an amazing ear. So I just was like, well, I can't. I I don't really like learn songs that easily. So why don't I just make up my own? And <laughs> no one can tell me that like I'm not playing it right. <laughs> yeah. So my friend and I from that band, Keith, we wrote a lot together. And he he was. It was great because he had all the goods. But I think he liked having someone to 
bounce ideas off of. And I think I was like, all those songs that we wrote were horrendous. But for our age, I think I might have had some kind of, I was forming like the ability to write lyrics a little bit, even then. There would be like a good phrase or two. And I think he liked that. Like he liked that I could come up with that sort of thing. Some catchy words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then when I started writing more of my own, I took that too far. And a lot of my songs I wrote when I was 19 or 20, when I was out in New Haven playing, I was trying to say so much in songs that I was just like cramming. <laughs> you know, the melodies were getting ruined because I was just trying to get off. I was trying to be clever. Maybe, maybe that was the time in my life where I was like, oh, you know, I'm now I'm getting into like Elvis Costello or something. And He's a motor mouth. He is, yeah, and he does it. He does it so well, but no one else does. Yeah, it's hard to copy that. No one, no one can do it. Just let him do it. And when I finally let that go and realize, oh, you know, I think the, the thing that I really figured out, I started listening to more um, music made by people that don't speak English. I think that's that like a light bulb went off in my head mm. because I started to be more interested in melody, and not to say like. Lyrics don't matter. You can say whatever you want if you have a great melody. I just started to think more about, well, the melody is in charge. So don't right. don't don't try to don't throw the melody away just because you you have a few more things you need to say like just yeah, the lyrics a, can really be dictated by the melody. Yeah, like Serge Gainsbourg um blew my my mind when I got into that and um cuz I don't speak French. You know, I've I've I wa- I've watched tons of French films so I can I can hear there's words that I know and I but I'll go, oh, why is he talking about a gorilla there? But, <laughs> but and, he, and by the way, when I've looked up his lyrics, they're incredible and so witty, but I don't hear it. So I'm just hearing the melody. And yeah. that definitely changed my perspective a bit. Help you strike a balance between words and, and melody. Sure, yeah. And are you, what's your process like usually? Are you writing on the keys? Do you play guitar? Um, yeah, well, I, you know, my, my songwriting has slowed down so much in recent years but I'm thankful that when I do finish something I'm usually like okay that's oh, that's good enough to like pl- bring out there and play and stuff yeah you're taking less stabs in the dark you're kind of I've I've you know I've gone through periods where I'm just so discouraged that I don't want to try and then I try and then you know either something happens or it doesn't yeah I guess I guess what I do is I usually and I don't play keyboards on stage I'm not proficient enough to mm-hmm. play and sing um, in front of people, but at home I do. And so that's usually where I come up with stuff. And I, I'm like an all-at-once type guy. Like I don't, I don't usually go, here's a melody. I just kind of play and I sing it at the same time. Yeah, and yeah. I just grab things. And then, and then sometimes I'll finesse the lyrics after. Um, so it comes more or less fully formed a lot of the time. Yeah, I guess. And I don't mean that in like a divine intervention, mm-hmm. arrogant sounding way, but... Just, it feels not, comfortable for you to do it that way. Yeah, and it's not like I do it instantly. Like, like one day I'll sit down and I'll play a thing and then I'll have... I'll come up with three lines in the melody and then that's all I can do. And then if I, if I can, I'll go back and plug away at it. And then um, when you record, like uh, when you recorded with my mixing engineer, yeah. Grant Wicks... Uh, how much do you get into the whole arranging production process, the uh, part of the creation process when you're fleshing everything out? Are you, <laughs> right. Are you big into that? or? Well, okay, so this could wind up being a really long answer, so <laughs> feel free to um, chop, it up. chop it up if you have to. But it really depends on what I'm doing. So 
so I used to be in that band Bourgeois Heroes, and we made this one album called Musical Postcards where we, because the two of us live far apart, so I was basically recording some tracks, sending them to, to my bandmate and friend. She would give me feedback. We would get together, work on it. It was a long process, but it was kind of an interesting way to do a recording. But on that album, I had some very, very clear ideas of what was going on, and I brought in people to play on it, um, like there are a lot of strings on that album and, you know, there's theremin, there's banjos, there's fiddles, there's cellos, tons of harpsichords. It's just, it's very... went all smile on it. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But it was, a strange, it was a strange record too because I started it by recording most of my parts on a cassette, a four-track cassette, and then I took them to the studio and then we'd build on, on it in the studio. So it's... I, I like that the sound of that record because it's 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 like lo-fi and hi-fi at the same mm-hmm. time. And if you listen, if you're like if you're listening to the electric piano, you know it could be it's very like kind of distorted a little bit. But then you all of a sudden you hear like really pretty violin part coming in that's recorded in a really nice room and yeah, a nice yeah. mic, and it it works really well. But anyway, I had a lot of clear ideas on that. Not necessarily like I didn't dictate parts for people, but I'd say like okay, the violin sweeps in here. Oh, okay, accordion plays this a little bit. And so, um, oh, I have a funny story about that, come to think of it. <clears throat> you know Van Dyke? Well, yeah, Van Dyke Parks. Van Dyke yeah. Parks. So I'm a big fan of his, and I had the audacity to write him an email and just said, like, hey, I wrote this song. Uh, it's called The Postcard Collector. And I sent him, like, a, a de- piano demo of me playing it. And I said, like, I mean, I don't know what it costs to record with you, but, like, even if it's, like, a really simple arrangement, like, I just want to see. And I was thinking, like, maybe I could just, like, blow out a credit card and do this. <sighs> and he wrote back, and he said to me, you know, very thoughtful. He just said, you know, um, even to turn the lights on in the studios I work in, it's just insane. He gave me, like, some numbers just to bring me back down to reality. Mm. But he, 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 was, he was really thoughtful, and he said, you know what I would do in this song? And he gave me some advice. Oh, wow. He said, he said okay, why don't you have – and I, I have the email still, but he, you know, he said, like, Put a thing here, do this here, maybe double that. Oh, that's so nice of him. Yeah, and he, he, he said something a little bit disparaging about the vocal that was on it, but I was like, it's a guide vocal, but he was like, he's like, you know, the the singer on that, the, his intonation is a little off. And it, I was a singer, and I was kind of like, ooh. <laughs> but um, anyway, wow. that record. Advice from Van Dyke Parks. Yeah, and I, I used it all. And I'm really, you know, uh, I was. I mean, he's a total genius when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. And you know, and it was just nice that he would just take the time to listen. And he knew he knew from the beginning of my introduction, he's like, "I will not be working on this, but I'm just gonna, you know, throw this kid a bone." Yeah. Yeah. So that record, I had a lot of ideas. So then, the album I, that Grant mixed for me, which is called Jason Junior, <laughs> which the album was gonna be called Jason, and um, I ended up just kind of not being able to finish it because that was a period of my life where I just wasn't very confident musically and I, I recorded maybe 12 songs for that album and I just like couldn't finish them and a mm. friend of mine years later was like finish them I'll huh. help you <laughs> it's always good to get that <clears throat> yeah he support my, my friend Ken who plays on that record all over the place she was like I'm gonna come to your house we're gonna cut the vocals in your house and we're gonna like get it done and I thank him for that but that album I my friend Ryan um Quinn uh he said, let's do, a, let's do an album, like a solo album of yours, because I wasn't in a band at the time. And so my thing was I would come in the studio, and this is a very Nilsson thing to do, come in the studio. I had a song structure, 
but maybe not all the lyrics were done. Maybe the bridge was like, I don't know where to put it. And I had my friends come in and we'd sit around and I'd just play it on the acoustic guitar and say, this is how it goes. And then they came up with their own parts mm. and I walk into the control room and sometimes I wouldn't even play on the, the live track. I just sit in there and then I'd, later I'd go in and dub in whatever I played on the song. Mm-hmm. And that's great too. I mean, that was the first time I really did that and it felt great because I think if you're really, and I think when I was younger, I was very headstrong and I, things had to be like, no, this has got to go like this. Like, Well, I imagine a lot of film directors <laughs> have that quality about them. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And I don't, mean, I don't mean that I was, uh, I acted like a dictator, but right. I really knew what I wanted. You had a lot of set ideas about stuff. And a lot of times what I wanted in the end, when I, I don't listen to my old stuff, but if I ever hear something or have to hear it for, to relearn something for whatever reason, I go, oh, I should have, I remember when Justin said that, don't mix the organ like that because it's, you know, and then I go, oh, I see why he said that. But at the time I was just like, no, this is something I'm hearing in my head and it's gotta mm. be this. But I mean, people that say no to you are as valuable as people that say yes. Oh, more valuable. Yeah. It's easy to just... People, please. <laughs> I was actually talking about yes, this someone this the other day. Um, my, I was doing a recording with my friend Henning, and I was talking to him about how I remember I was arguing, not arguing, but I was like wanting to put all these sound effects on some stuff, kind of like goofball stuff. And he, he was he was saying to me, "Why don't you just use one mm. of these sound effects on this song?" <laughs> and um, that was a good idea because. I mean, I, I don't know what, I, like, barnyard animals or whatever I was thinking about doing at the time. But then to get back on the this way of arranging, which I'm taking the the scenic route, mm-hmm. the band I'm in now, Beach Honey, you know, if, I'm, if it's a song that I'm bringing in, I kind of know what I want to do. Like, for the most part, I, I'm going to play this part on the guitar. And then I really love how, you know, Annie, like, her ear for harmony, her, her she's a wonderful arranger. So I just go, whatever you do, I'm going to like. Yeah. So just and do she, it. So she's your keyboardist in Beach Honey. Yeah, she's she's a lead singer in the band too. Um, like we, you know, we all we share vocals. and um, But if it's something that I'm kind of bringing in, I'm not going to go, okay, do this. You know, I don't really need to. <clears throat> it's just not how that band really works and not how we'd want it to work. Yeah, yeah. It's just like everyone kind of just does their own thing. Sometimes, you know, other people will say, oh, what if you, like, on the drums, you know, got busy here and then pulled back here? And it's it's very open and we're all arranging yeah, everything. Yeah. And for being in a band, that's the only way I'd want to do it. I don't, I, I wouldn't want it to be any other way. Yeah, I mean, if you demand a certain level of control, then you just go back to Jason Bourgeois and just have it be a, a yeah. solo thing, yeah. And I don't, as long as I'm in a band, I don't know if I need to do solo stuff. I mean, so you kind of go back and forth with that. Well, I mean, since, I mean, so what prompted uh, your recent single? Well, the, my recent single um, was from the ill-fated Jason album. Oh, okay. So, that, so it's that, kind of a so, outtake from that or something. Yeah. So the music that you hear on that, um, the the live track was done a long time ago. Like so, I so it was. It was my friend Chris, who's now in Beach Honey, uh, was the drummer on that. Oh, okay. And um, Ken Murray played bass. I played electric piano, and uh, Ryan Quinn, who was recording, also played acoustic. We did it live in the room. <clears throat> it was like take one or two. You know, it, just, it was the same thing. Like we sat around, here's how the song goes. Yeah, yeah. And we just did it. A friend of mine 
who has a label um, originally based in Connecticut, now based in Boston, called February Records, said, you know, we're making this uh, zine. And I did a, actually did, a, I interviewed someone for it, um, just for the, interviewed a guy from Miracle Legion, Ray Neal, and he said, would you want to put a track on it? And I didn't really have anything, and it was, was kind of like, you want it to be an outtake. So not something, you know, Beach Honey's recording, and we don't really have outtakes because we want to, put out something before we have outtakes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to go back and listen to something that was cut from the album. And so right before that came out, I, I sang it, and then Annie um, plays synthesizer on it. And yeah, so it was kind of like recorded originally many years ago and then finished this year. Hmm. Wow, so it evolved over time, I Yeah, and I, and, my, and I don't even know if I had it. I think I... Might have had lyrics at the time, but I just re- wrote new ones um, recently. Hmm. So uh, what's coming up in terms of your musical projects? Any goals for the near future or distant future? Yeah, well, um, Beach Honey, we want to put out a single. We're really close to finishing the recording, and Grant Wicks is going to mix that for us. And so that'll be like a <clears throat> like a seven-inch s- release. And it'll be, it'll in some ways feel like our first proper release. And we've been a band for a while, but we we made a kind of a demo tape um, a while back that was, you know, pretty crude, but I I, I like it. I mean, I'm the drummer on it, so Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to, (laughs) it's kind of hard to take it seriously when I'm playing drums on it. But so it'll be, it'll be nice to put something out and then hopefully we'll follow that up with just keep, keep recording as much as we can and. Yeah, I think the goal is just to do as much music as we we can and people can stomach. (laughs) I look forward to hearing more. And thank you for having me over today. Anytime. Jason Bourgeois, ladies and gents. Hope you enjoyed listening to that. And I also hope his shoot with Mark Mulcahy went well. If you like this episode of Talking About the Passion, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Sign up for the Niagara Moon mailing list if you would like to get weekly updates on the podcast as well as on my own musical misadventures. Go to niagaramoonmusic.com and scroll down to enter in your email address. You can find the podcast on Facebook under Talking About the Passion. I'm also on Twitter at TATP Podcast and on Instagram at Niagara Moon Music. If you would like to write to me with suggestions, questions, or comments about the podcast, please email tatppodcast at gmail.com. The theme song for Talking About the Passion is the Niagara Moon song Pantheon Bar off my recent album, Eating Peaches. So coming up now, we're going to hear another song by Jason. This is the one he got uh, advice from Van Dyke Parks on. It's called The Postcard Collector. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next Wednesday.
traveling.